Hello, everybody. Turn this up in our headphones, Charles. <laughs> yes, mine too, please. <laughs> Everyone's getting it turned up today. All right. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. That's right. Dylan is using the honorific of friends, plural, because with us today are lily and sarah from fiction fans hello lily and sarah welcome to the show hi hello nice to be here oh, and the secret fifth podcaster <laughs> mr squeak That's, wow. she has thoughts on murderbot too wow didn't realize mr squeak was gonna make an appearance today this is exciting <laughs> Yeah, Welcome, guys. We're super thrilled to have you. We are big fans. Would you like to take a moment and introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Lily. I am one half of Fiction Fans, a podcast where we talk about books and other words, too, as the name might suggest. We have been doing some podcasting lately and quite enjoying it. And an excuse to read books is always good, which is really what it was at its core. <laughs> I'm Sarah. Uh, Lily conned me into doing this podcast with her. Um, I am the Twitter gremlin behind all of our uh, incoherent Twitter tweets. Uh, and it is a good excuse to read books. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of our excuse as well. We just needed an outlet for us to read some more fantasy books. But uh, you guys cover the gambit. You don't just read fantasy novels. You read like all of uh, a lot of speculative fiction, right? It's That's not true. Yeah, it's not specifically fantasy, but we tend to veer towards fantasy. Right. We even have a cookbooks episode coming up soon, so wow. oh, keep an eye out for that. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charles is big into cooking, right, Charles? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy cooking. I wouldn't say I'm talented or anything, but I'm definitely tuning into the cookbook episode. You guys are breaking new ground with that, at least in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> You make me hungry. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's not the same without images, but we'll make it work. Yeah, that's <laughs> Somehow. True. That's true. I'm curious to see how you guys do. Are you going to like read the recipes or like be like, hey, so I cooked this and here's how it went. What's the, oh, maybe you don't want to give away the secret yeah. before it airs. Like you may want to save that for your own show. <laughs> well, I mean, we could tease it. Yeah. Like my cookbook is Hero's Feast, which is the Dungeons and Dragons cookbook. So there's quite a lot of other content in it. Nice. My cookbook is just a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely be checking that out. So I, and I, by the way, this has felt like a really long time coming. I'm like super excited to have you two on here. Cause like I, I've listened to all your episodes and uh, we've had a lot of these interactions on Twitter. So I'm just, I want to say I'm just super pumped. So and Murderbot, All Systems Red, really excited to talk about that too. So yeah, welcome. This is yes, awesome. Yes. Yeah, long time coming. And yes. like you said, what a great choice for this. Oh my goodness. Oh. This book. <laughs> it was so good. 
I'm glad well, to hear that because as, as I was reading, I'm like, I haven't read this, so I don't know. I trusted Dylan's judgment on this one because Dylan was the one that always pitched a mistake. it. <laughs> uh, usually that's the case, but with <laughs> fantasy and science fiction novels, uh, I'm I'm willing to go with it. And as I was reading it, I was like, okay, I know from listening to fiction fans that these two are Terry Pratchett fans. And as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, it balances that line. It's kind of satirical. It's It's kind of funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously. I think we're going to be safe with this one. So I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, right from the very first sentence. May, may I read the first sentence? That's please not a spoiler, do. Oh, right? Please, please do. Yeah. do. It's just a different version of audiobooking yeah. at this point. <laughs> I could have become a mass murderer after I hacked my governor module. But then I realized I could access the combined feed of entertainment channels carried on the company satellites. I was hooked. Yeah. First sentence. Yeah. I was in. <laughs> It and, says so much about the world and the character right away. And the kind of humor that you're going to see in that novel, too. <laughs> For it's sure. Just, it's a perfect introduction. Yeah. Immediately grounds you in Murderbot's voice, which I feel like is the biggest thing that sticks out to me when I think about this novella. I mean, is there's such a distinct way that the prose works through the you know, we do, by the way, we, I guess, I, I forgot to do my turn it down your headphones if you haven't uh, read <laughs> all systems read at this point, because yeah, we will be spoilery, spoilery. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be spoiling it from here on out. Um, but I, yeah, right away, we've got that first line and it's got this murder bot voice that is so unique distinct sort of quirky funny it goes on to say like uh, that Murderbot's been watching 30,000 hours of uh, the entertainment feed or something <laughs> like that so it's uh yeah I knew I knew as Terry Pratchett fans like Charles was saying that you two would appreciate how funny Murderbot is. I think there's a lot more depth to this book than uh, uh, than that first line might convey per se, but, uh, and that's a Pratchett thing too, right? Like Pratchett has these uh, really funny wisdoms, and from what I've seen, there's also a lot of depth to his work. So, I, yeah, I thought this would be a good fit. I was really happy when we were talking about the collab that you wanted to jump on for this one. Absolutely, and I have to say, I think Sarah and I both went out and ordered the rest of the series the second we finished it. Oh, I haven't, I haven't yet, but I do intend okay. to. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see where y'all end up going from there. Keep me in the loop because I've still only read all systems read to this point, and everyone on Twitter has been saying that it, you know, it keeps up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I right. We've only committed to reading all systems read, but everyone's like, guys, you gotta read all of them. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> most of most of them are novellas, right? Like you could just mm -hmm. blast through them. Right. It's yeah. it's almost like the Terry Pratchett formula. It's like, come on, guys, is they're really short? You could read a whole bunch of them. There's a bunch out there. Give them a shot. <laughs> so, yeah, did did y'all split up over a bunch of different readings or this is the kind of book that you could just sit down and read in an afternoon or something if you were really dedicated to it. I kind of split up over a few days. Uh, how did y'all do it? I am queen of procrastination, as I've said on Twitter. Trademarked. <laughs> yes, trademarked. <laughs> so I read it uh, yesterday, all in one sitting. I read it over the course of two days, um, which was really, I didn't have time to finish it 
and then had to immediately wake up the next morning and just jump right in because <laughs> it was that good. Yeah. And yeah. the pacing is just incredible. I didn't want to put it down. Yeah, that's something yeah. I appreciated about it. I mean, I had to read it over a couple short bursts, but I did appreciate like with this novella, it was as long as it needed to be and not like a word longer. You know, we we got in Murderbot's world, we got the sense of the character, we got to the end of story, and it was like you said, the pacing was brilliant and it got us through the whole story and I, and I just appreciated it and I guess that's coming off of like also reading Wheel of Time at the same time <laughs> so it's like to be going from that to murder bots like oh okay that, I can kind of get this I know Dylan had pitched this as like oh it'll be like a breath of fresh air you know take a break from these big epic fantasy stories and take this short little sci-fi romp at, you know all, along the way so I very much appreciated that aspect of it <laughs> It's definitely a good break in Wheel of Time, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so are you in book 11 yet? or I'm, I'm in the middle of book 11. I haven't picked up book, book 11 for like two weeks because I've been busy with other reading. Um, uh, but it's um, slow, <laughs> just a little bit. You're almost there, though. The light's at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I am, and I mean, like, I've enjoyed it. Um, I can't really say that it's been much of a slog except for some bits, but... Murderbot was a nice change of pace. <laughs> Definitely. I can appreciate that. Another thing that I really enjoyed about Murderbot as a character, and this is the question that I wanted to pose to both of you, Sarah and Lily, is what makes Murderbot so relatable? I was reading this character, and it's literally like this, uh, I guess, cyborg that yeah. has these half organic parts half mechanical parts and it just kind of wants to get through its day at work and go home and watch television like what like i just wanted to get what you did you find this character relatable and like how relatable was Murderbot to you guys well i think you just nailed it yes <laughs> <laughs> the question answered itself who hasn't sat at work going like trying to minimize YouTube every time their boss walks by thinking, God, I just, I wish I could just like be home right now watching my soap opera. This is such a waste of time. Yeah. But there's, there's also the um, aspect of the intense awkwardness that Murderbot yeah. feels whenever yeah. um, they're interacting with people. And I like, as someone who is also quite awkward, like I really related to that. Um, I did pull out a couple of quotes um, there's one on page 22 where Murderbot is uh, describing an interaction with, I believe it's Dr. Mensa. Mm -hmm. uh, All right, she said, and looked at me for what objectively I knew was 2.4 seconds and yeah. subjectively about 20 excruciating minutes. Um, <laughs> and I think that everyone, or at least I imagine that everyone can relate to having an interaction that you know is really, really short but just feels like it goes on forever. <laughs> that's well said. There is definitely this like social anxiety component mm -hmm. to Murderbot's character. That's super relatable. She's talking to people and she's like, man, I wish I could just throw my vibe or I don't know what gender Murderbot is. For some reason it was a she popped yeah. in my head, but <laughs> yeah. Do we know I the do gender? The Does Murderbot have a gender? I don't not, think so. I don't think, yeah. <laughs> Murderbot is not gender like or non-binary might be the right way to phrase it uh, the only murderbot's referred to as an it by mm -hmm. a lot of the, the folks in the story and murderbot does not refer to themselves by any i, I like, think that 
I think that the characters in the story um, outside of Murderbot refer to Murderbot as an it because they're so used to thinking of these sec units as mm -hmm. unthinking machines, like just right. computers without personality, without feelings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And from the perspective of that social anxiety, too, I was thinking that in a lot of ways, Murderbot seems to use that we can we can talk about how uh, like arbitrary the distinction might be between Murderbot and some of the other not fully human uh, characters in here. Uh, and also like Murderbot almost leans on the fact that other people uh, distinguish between sec units and other like cyborg type folks by it, like being like, oh no, like I'm just a murder bot, I'm just a robot and, that, and where's the armor? And I, I really thought there's a lot of these quotes in here, um, even toward the end, uh, we get this like, uh, I would have to leave the armor behind uh, quote as kind of when Murderbot is thinking through, oh, like, should I, should I stick around or should I leave with these humans? And a big thing throughout is I think the armor is like this literalized metaphor of like a thing that keeps Murderbot separate from the other characters. And it's like a crutch in a lot of ways, I think, for Murderbot, where when they don't have to show their face, they don't have to show their actual organic, like gushy, vulnerable human <laughs> side. It's safer and it's easier. And this thing that keeps Murderbot like looking different from these other cyborg type characters also and like the way that Murbot's role is different from some of these other characters it seems to make like it makes Murderbot able to stay in their like safety of like oh no I'm not actually organic like you all but underneath it Murbot has very very real feelings and social anxiety and awkwardness and all this kind of stuff that is so relatable as, as you were talking about Charles. Murderbot also uses it as sort of a privacy shield, yeah. uh, I, which is, I think, basically what you were getting at, Dylan. Um, when I'm trying not to call them a she also. <laughs> I, I don't know why that is, but I, I was catching myself as well. Um, at some point, Murderbot is interacting with humans without the shield or without the helmet and gets so upset that they, can they the scientists, can see Murderbot's yeah reactions because normally they can make whatever reaction they feel like and no one can tell and but that sort of exposure was very violating for them which was interesting i wonder if that's going to be something similar to how we feel when covid is over and we like no one's wearing masks anymore <laughs> during um like social interactions that's interesting question, Sarah, because I know there's some parts about this idea of reopening and stuff. Where it's like, oh, man, you got to go back outside and like be in the same room as other people. It's so much work. Like, I just want to kind of close the door and watch Sanctuary Moon all day. You know, it's like I don't necessarily need to be out there mingling with people. Well, I, f I feel like you get used to not modulating your expressions. Right. Um, like Murderbot does. I mean, Murderbot doesn't have any experience or has very little experience um, keeping track of what their face is doing. Right. And eye contact is a big thing with Murderbot, too. It does not like to make eye contact, and it feels awkward when people do. And it's like, uh, I wish I could go back into my cubicle with the visor up and shut down for a while instead of being in this social 
uh, situation with all these people that try and treat me like a person, but I'm not a person. And I can't really explain to them who I am because I am not sure who I am. And I think, you know, identity is another huge piece of why there's this social anxiety piece and how these humans treat Murderbot and how Murderbot, like, Murderbot's uncertainty is projected as this kind of social anxiety that is captured really well with the character of Murderbot. And I, I just thought that that was a really standout moment if anyone had anything to say about identity. I actually read a really interesting article. Um, I was searching for a particular Murderbot quote and came across this article on Tor that was describing um, the arc of Murderbot as um, a parallel to transitioning, mm-hmm. um, which this touches a little bit, uh, maybe less on identity than it does on the end of the book where Murderbot decides to leave because they are still like finding themselves. They don't want to yeah. be, they're, they're not comfortable letting other people's expectations dictate what they do. I found the article fascinating. Uh, I agree. I I have a quote that I think parallels that, and I think it's why a lot of people do identify with Murderbot in some way. And it's around this wrapped in this theme of, I guess, identity, where Murderbot goes. It's wrong to think of a construct as half bot, half human. Mm. It makes it sound like the halves are discrete, like the bot half should want to obey orders and do its job, and the human half should want to protect itself and get the hell out of here. As opposed to reality, which was that I was one whole confused entity with no idea what I wanted to do, what I should do, what I needed to do. And I read that and I was like, on my Kindle, I was like, highlight, highlight, highlight. <laughs> that, was, that, that was actually the exact quote that I was looking for. When I oh, found great. <laughs> because I was like, that is such a great uh, parallel to just anyone that's like, oh, there's what society, like the whole I'm expected to kind of fill in society. And then I don't. I just don't feel like I fit that and I don't know what to do. And I think that's why people, you know, quote that first line so much and really rally behind this book is because it just nails that aspect of, of human nature so well. And that's further complicated by the way humans react to murder bot. Yeah. Throughout this book, we're seeing sort of just little nuggets of information for really how horribly security units get treated I think there's a reference to gladiator games at some point, just really, really miserable conditions. And then you have the quote unquote good humans who at least respect Murderbot more than the awful ones, but they still have their own expectations, like you said. Yeah, they're like so still even treat her though, like a human or it like a human. Exactly. And Murderbot's not a human right. at the end of the day. So even though they do respect Murderbot, they still have their own sort of nonsense that they're assigning to them. Exactly. And that's, I, I think, sort of loops back to why Murderbot at the end decides not to stay with them. It's a, a gilded cage, perhaps. I mean, they're, they're pushing their own agenda on Murderbot. They Even want though Murderbot their intentions to... are good, they are still trying to get Murderbot yeah. to conform in a way it doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I So... You are thinking that Mensa at the end by, I, I guess I got the sense that Mensa was kind of like, yeah, like stay with me while you figure things out. And that was a, like, I see why Murderbot was not 
ready and for something like that and wanted to separate themselves and just forge their own path because you know society and the company and all these kind of things have basically forced Murderbot to play the role of a murder bot um <laughs> you know like literally murder bot because of uh, messed up uh, things in the past i think malfunctioning like killed a bunch of people and was not Murderbot's fault, but because of the positions that Murderbot was in, thanks to the company and society, like did that and has to live with that. And I think that it's like, uh, it was time to just separate as much as possible from the attachments of Murderbot's past and move on and see what happens when you just go out on your own. But I was a little like, uh, but I feel like, like Mensa could help <laughs> get you on your feet and thing, this kind though, of stuff and, was not forcing here's stuff. Here's the thing though, Lily touched on it when she, when we were talking about this idea that yeah, the humans they were their intentions were always good. They were mm-hmm. always nice to Murderbot, but they were treating Murderbot like a human. So there was all these moments where gotcha. like, "Oh, Murderbot, you can come sit with us." "Oh, Murderbot, what do you think about this?" "Oh, Murderbot, yeah. we want to protect you too. You're one of us." And Murderbot's like, I'm not a human, guys. Like, why are you treating me like one? And that is something that I think a lot of people can feel in their own lives where someone's trying to be nice to you. And it's like, oh, you can like, why don't you come to the party with us? And, you know, I'll dance with you and, you know, we'll drink together and whatever. It's like, I don't like dancing. I don't like drinking. Why are you trying to make me do these things? And then even from an identity level of like, oh, I relate to you. And it's like, but we're not the same. You can't like, Mm -hmm. I know you mean well, but because you're not experiencing what I'm experiencing, you can't really like (laughs) help me in that way. You know, you can't like understand. And I think that's a lot Mm. of complex nuance of like social structure is what Murderbot's kind of getting. And I don't know if you guys felt that way about it, but that's how, that's what I got out of Murderbot's relationship with the humans. Mm. It's sort of a misapplication of the golden rule. Right. Yes, treat exactly. others how you want to be treated, but that's not how Murderbot wanted to be treated. So it doesn't quite work. But they, but I, I agree that I, as a reader, felt like their intentions were pure. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm sure if they had, you know, had more time together, maybe they would have gotten to a place where Murderbot wanted to stay with them. But as was that, at where the story left us, that wasn't what she, what they wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I would be really interested in finding out. Um, and I guess since neither of you have read any of the other novellas, you wouldn't know. But I really want to know if these characters show up in following novels, or if they're just only here in this one um, first book. I yeah, I was curious about that too. I feel like there, I'd be shocked if we're done with Mensa. I just think there's there's more there. You don't think so? Oh no, sorry. Oh, I yeah. love Mensa so much. Oh, that yeah. was I couldn't oh. contain it. I had to make a noise. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. She's a great character. So yeah, I think I think they'll be back, but really I have no idea. And I I guess I don't know. I'm interested in the idea of the extent to which like Murderbot is actually different from some of the other folks who have inorganic and uh organic parts too. Like, like the even augmented one of the, humans? Yes. So oh, one of the characters is, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but <laughs> Garathin, you, you know the one probably. Um, and there's a quote that is uh, one of the characters talking about, it's Overse is talking about how messed up the practice of these sec units are. And 
over says, that's my point. The practice is disgusting. It's horrible. It's slavery. This is no more machine than Garathin is. And I was like, we really don't know yet. I think with the information we're provided, like how like how different Murderbot is from someone like Garathin, who has been able to like is different in some ways from the humans, but it's kind of like found a place among them uh, with his own situation of what's going on. And I kind of, that's a big thing I wonder is like, if Murderbot kind of let down that armor, let it go and stop trying to be a like, or like stop being wrapped up in this identity of a, like I'm a killing machine. I can't be like them. Like could Murderbot eventually down the line come to this place with these characters of like, yes, I've done some messed up things in the past. Yes. I like, I have organic and inorganic parts and we can accept and live together with that. There's a section in the back um, at the end of the book where Murderbot contemplates just Mm -hmm. living as a, um, as an augmented human and then decides that they don't want to. I don't have a quote for that, but. That's, I think that's at the end when Murderbot is walking through a crowd and realizes that none of the people around them know what they are. Oh, I, I did actually right. find the quote that I was oh. looking for um, <laughs> by chance. Um, I'd have to pretend to be an augmented human and that would be a strain. I'd have to change, make myself do things I didn't want to do, like talk to humans like I was one of them. I'd have to leave the armor behind. So I think that Murderbot oh. probably could change, but they just have no inclination to. Yeah, I think that's a great part about like because there's these humans that have like robotic augmentation to them which is what that gentleman's name is i'm not gonna pretend to pronounce his name <laughs> sure. start it with a g and uh yeah. then we have Murderbot, who is purely artificial but has organic parts and a complex kind of thought process that's very similar to a human's but is not human by nature and that line which is what this which is what martha wells i guess is trying to explore here through the use of science fiction through exploring the human condition of like where is the line like at one point like how many organic parts do you need to be on the human side of the spectrum and how many do you have to be uh, to be on the like robotic side and then i think she wound up through this thought experiment being like i don't think it really matters i think each person each individual has to take it on an individual basis and figure out who they are and who they want to be, mm-hmm. which is why Murderbot was just like, you know what? If, like this group has already decided who I kind of am and how I should be treated. And I don't think that that's right for me. So I just yeah. got to go and figure it out, which is like a terrific ending in my opinion. Yeah, I agree completely, mm-hmm. Charles. I think the question changes from what is the definition of human to does it matter yes. if someone's human? It's almost like a breakthrough. There's so much science fiction where it's like, oh, I'm a robot, but can I love? Or, you know, it's like, yeah. where, like where's the line where robot becomes human and then we have to shut it off? But this is takes that thought experiment to the next level and kind of breaks the mold. And it's like, eh, take it case by case. It's whatever the individual's feeling like, <laughs> like you know, that balance, which is brilliant. It's a really yeah. modern approach to science fiction character writing and human condition exploration and stuff like that for sure i was i mean and that's why i was kind of like it makes sense the ending makes sense i think like i get why murderbot is not in that place yet and i I guess as a 
as a reader, I'm like emotionally drawn to this idea of Murbot, like these humans seem nice and like I want the, them all to live together in harmony. And that's not the story that's being told, at least not yet. Like we've got a lot more story to tell and see where things go. And I guess I want things to end in this place of like Murderbot being accepted for who they are, both with themselves and with the crew. And then them hopefully being able to have relationships that, you know, everyone acknowledges everyone's identities and accepts them for it. But yeah, we, we weren't there yet. And we were still in this place of like, everyone's trying to treat Murderbot like they're just another human. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's great points. I actually really liked how it turned the trope of found family sort of on its head mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. I was definitely expecting there to be that from the progression that we were given, I was expecting there to be that arc where at the end Murderbot is more accepted and also accepting of what the others wanted Murderbot to become. Um, and even though Murderbot goes from not liking these humans really at all and viewing them as just another um, another job in their chain of jobs to calling Dr. Mensa like their favorite human, they yeah. still decide to leave, um, which I thought was a nice subversion of that trope. Definitely. I wonder if what makes the ending so bittersweet is because Murderbot is turning down the ending I would have wanted for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I see this opportunity and think, oh yeah, I want to go live with Dr. Mensa on her farm with many partners. Like that sounds yeah. great. <laughs> right? But it's like, you have free will now. You can do whatever you yeah. want. And Murderbot's <laughs> like, I kind of always just did that already. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm glad you're stoked, but that's very human of you to think that I should be happy about this when I'm still kind of, processing a lot which exactly yeah it's brilliant yeah and that idea of kind of flipping the found family trope is so true because it's like you said we wanted this this is like the breakthrough that Murderbot learns to become a friendly bot but it's not necessarily the case (laughs) yeah Uh, I'm kind of latching on this thing that you said there Lily where I'm like that was the same experience I was having, I think, as a reader, where I was like, I, as a human reader, want this thing for Murderbot because it's the thing that I would want if I, as a human, were in that situation. It's kind of part of what makes this so powerful, the story that Martha Wells is telling here, where it's like, no, you human might want that, but that's not what Murderbot wants as a sec unit or whatever Murderbot will come to understand themselves as, as this story progresses past the point that we've read here. Well said. Yeah, it's this, it's this interesting idea of just Murderbot being like, I really appreciate what you're doing and I love you for that, but I still can't stick around. You know, it's it's interesting in that way. Well, sometimes the, the people that you love don't want the best for you. Like right. <laughs> very true. Or even just what you want for yourself. Yeah, they're yeah. like projecting what they want mm-hmm. for you yeah. onto you and you're not necessarily down with it, you know. That that happens all the time. Yeah. I thought it was very sweet that right like at the end we find out that the the book was ostensibly Murderbot's farewell letter to Mensa, mm-hmm. right? I, I, that's sort of the, the vibe I got. Mm-hmm. And I, that just was very sweet. That yeah. was very human. Yeah, like, I was wondering, I was going to ask you guys what you thought of that kind of reveal at the end, that this whole thing was a framing device, which was this kind of 
farewell letter from Murderbot to Mensa. Well, I think of it as the diary entry, essentially, diary. But, like sharing a diary entry. Was, uh, that's why I thought, I mean, maybe there'll be a bigger reveal why this is called the Murderbot Diaries, but that's what kind of, I was like, oh, it's like an entry in a diary and here you go. I'm sharing my innermost thoughts with you. And so, but yeah, curious to hear your, your thoughts on the, the reveal. Well, I always have mixed opinions about first person <laughs> stories. Yes, I know. Um, I listened to your show and you brought it up multiple like, times. And I, I cracked the cover of this book. I was like, oh. It's like, first word is I. <laughs> no. But I think this is an example where that was chosen very thoughtfully. And this book being told in first person is necessary for the story to be what it is for us to really understand what Murderbot is going through and having that as an explanation, an in-world explanation for why this story exists. Uh, I appreciate it immensely from my weird biased side. Yeah, it's high praise. <laughs> Because you guys have released like four episodes and maybe three of them. <laughs> You've said that the first person was a bit of a pet peeve. So I'm happy that uh, you at least um, are behind it for Murderbot. That's great. <laughs> High praise. I find I'm just harder on it in general. <laughs> and so this yeah. past muster. It's There's a lot of first person out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's almost like the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I could see why you wouldn't like it, but like, also it's it's so prevalent that that's that's a lot of things to not like which is fine of course it's uh, hard to avoid I, I feel for you yeah i guess that's what <laughs> i'm trying to say is like i feel for you if you're like i don't know in fantasy we get a lot of these like limited third person rotating povs so but maybe still it's like 20 to 30 percent i would guess might be like uh, that's off the top of my head like <laughs> uh first person and I do, I, because I can't help myself, I do really want you two to read the Kinkiller Chronicle at some point in your own time and all that. Um, I've, <laughs> all of I've that committed, around free time. I've committed to reading it at some point. Yes, and I'm very happy about that. Nice. And, and I bring it up here uh, because it is another story that has a framing device that tells you kind of why the vast majority of the story is in first person. I think might get through to you, Lily. <laughs> and I think that's why this story stands out because the fact that it's told in first person is woven into one, this whole book is about Murderbot. So we're to get into Murderbot's unusual perspective as a being is super interesting. And then two, it's actually uh, part of the whole framing device of the story. Like on, it works on multiple levels, which I think will justify. Uh, the use of first person more than just being like, oh, I think I'll write this in first person because that it would be fun. <laughs> you nailed it, Charles. I need first person to be justified. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and in this case, it's a well-justified use. The twist to me, Dylan, I'm curious to hear your perspective because you're the only one here that's read it twice, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I am. I, and I was I, wondering well, if, I think so, anyway. if reading it a second time, knowing that it was a diary entry, did that like, was there any kind of Easter egg fun moments for you there? Or was it like the same experience? Mm, I think it's like, I don't know. I the, the thing with all systems read and Murderbot and what I've read so far is just like, I'm, I'm in it just for Murderbot as a character and the voice and kind of this the plot 
always to me just seemed like an excuse to have Murderbot tell us things. So <laughs> the fact that those things happened to be like, I, I was not, I like, sure, I cared about what was going on with the mystery and whatnot. But to me, it's like, I read for Murderbot and Murderbot telling me a thing and telling Mensa a thing. And, but there's not like these moments where it's like, oh no, like, now that you know it's a letter to Mensa, you like this all clicks together, at least for me. Like maybe I'm just not aware enough to have picked up on it. But I I only like vaguely remembered that it was a a, a thing because what <laughs> sticks with me for Murderbot aren't like the plot moments. It's the it's like the character and the voice and getting to know Murderbot and their plight. So for, yeah. for me personally, I, I mean I kind of agree with you, Dylan. Like for me personally, I felt that the revelation that it was a letter to Mensa was, it almost felt like an afterthought, like it didn't feel relevant to anything that had happened. Yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of was, like I didn't, I didn't have the emotional reaction to it that Lily, you seem to have had. I just needed it. That's all. The justification. Yeah. Yeah. Those of us who accept first person as just like, it's okay, you can do that as a form of narrative uh, and I'm in. Uh, that yeah might not have had the same like oh thank you moment that (laughs) Lily seems to have had but yeah no it's a nice I guess it's like I think Charles mentioned this that there's a vulnerability to that that we like to see from Murderbot that's kind of like if it was just Murderbot there's this weird thing about and now I'm kind of like understanding uh, your perspective more Lily as I think more about it is like there's this weird thing that happens sometimes in first person where it's like who where are you now like how are you telling me this story who like how many years later is this then the story was happening should I know that it's like that stuff is spinning in, in my head now around like when there's this nebulous first person point of view without that justification that Lily's looking for. So that then I guess like if it was that kind of narrative for Murderbot, there's no payoff of like, oh, Murderbot learned some degree of vulnerability here. Uh, and I guess that's... that's but I don't feel, I don't feel like, like Murderbot needs to have learned a degree of vulnerability. I mean, for me as a reader... But my question is, why is Murderbot thinking about this to themselves? I like that's the question <laughs> that would come up in my head. Like, what? Why are you explaining this? Don't you already know it? Like, what is? Why? What? But, yeah, I guess it kind of helps that now head. it's contextualized in that Murderbot's explaining it to Mensa in some way does help for sure. For me, so I read it and I was like, it's kind of presented like it was a twist but it's just kind of like a fun way to end the story it's like oh neat (laughs) like okay cool but i was just wondering i was like oh if i go back and look at some of this is it like more obvious now that it was a diary entry but uh it seems like in your experience that's not really the point of the reading experience at least for you it was the character work so here's something i was thinking about though around this like is is it character growth if Murderbot learns some degree of vulnerability or is it comp like conforming to what humans think of as character mm-hmm. growth? Because I guess part of what I was navigating my head was this like Murderbot has these deep like connections to people, but it's easier when it's like fake people. That's a whole sanctuary moon thing to some extent. So there's like, I hate having emotions about reality. I'd much rather have them about sanctuary moon and things like that. So it's like, I, I guess the 
the social anxiety and the armor and stuff like that, I did feel like Murderbot is looking for some connection, even if it's not the same kind of connection that people would look for. And like, I guess this gesture toward Mensa, I'm like, that. I feel like that is like, that is some growth, right? Like, well, I no. think part of that can be explained with how horribly, like I, I've said, hor- we can assume Murderbot has been treated by yes. people before. I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it character growth, but it is fulfilling that Murderbot has found people that don't treat it terribly. Mm-hmm. And Murderbot sort of acknowledging that was felt good as a reader, definitely. But can you really blame someone for not wanting to connect with someone who could at any moment turn on them and say, oh, just go jump in a hole and die. I don't care. Like, it's really hard to build a relationship on that. Yeah, I think it's this idea of maybe the act of Murderbot being more emotionally vulnerable is not necessarily the character growth, but the character growth is that Murderbot wants to be more emotionally vulnerable and that's the important distinction right because the fact that she's expressing a human quality or it's expressing a human quality i will never get over that for some reason um but the fact that Murderbot is like expressing human qualities is not necessarily the breakthrough but it's the fact that Murderbot was willing to write a like diary entry to another human being say you're my favorite human being of its own volition, that's the character growth. And the fact that that just happened to express some human traits as part of it is just the nature of being Murderbot, of having these organic emotional components, but not necessarily being human. I want to go back to what Dylan said earlier. Sorry, <laughs> completely change of subject. Let's do it. I thought it was so interesting when you said, I mean, I, I agree that the the character exploration of Murderbot and the voice and the humor is a lot of what really makes this book excellent and sort of the point of reading it, if you will. But I thought the plot was so much fun because it felt so much like those sci-fi movies I've seen a hundred times told from the perspective of their obligatory robot companion. I'm especially feeling like the alien franchise in this, you know, you always find out that there's the Android who was may or may or may not have been on their side the whole time. And the, the team of scientists up against something that is completely out of their depth and sort of seeing that story from this other perspective, I thought was really fun. I just also love alien. So. Yeah. And I think (laughs) maybe some of it is like, I'm way more a fantasy reader stuff than a sci-fi enthusiast. And maybe I wasn't picking up on some of these like, oh, they're like, uh, I see what Martha Wells is doing here with this trope. And uh, like throughout that, like probably completely lost on me. And I was just like, oh, like Murderbot is a very <laughs> funny and interesting character. Like, And that was kind of like the thing just, just floats through my head when I think about Murderbot. It's also me, like it's, you know, like think of, Wheel of Time, I mean, Lily, you haven't read that, but uh, Sarah can speak to this as like, um, I think has a lot of great characters. It's also very plot focused in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, even something like that, I'm like, uh, like plot, you know, uh, like this part was cool. It's just something I do, (laughs) I guess. It's like, like, I don't know. I don't gravitate toward plot. I'm curious to hear from more like, uh, 
Sarah, you're, you said you're a little more uh, thinking along the same lines as, as me, like focused on the character here. You are the Dylan of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> so I, I think that, that I appreciate plot more than you tend to just in general. <laughs> Um, no, no, offense, but, <laughs> I, I do not um, take offense, but um, in, in this case, I really did feel like the plot was secondary to um, the character work and just the voice of Murderbot, um, and how Murderbot it was less about what was happening and how and more about how Murderbot was processing what was happening, if that makes sense, yeah. Um, but I can't make any comparisons to Alien because I haven't watched it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's well, so well said. Oh, yeah. Oh, it only say. says good things about the book that you don't have to have that background to enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's interesting. I was say that's really well said, Sarah, about the like. It's more about murder bot processing because uh, and that and nailed it with the processing uh, <laughs> unintentionally there. Um, and yeah so Lily it sounds like there were a lot of these moments then that stuck out to you as these like oh that's basically alien but you did this that was happening for you a lot or it wasn't that specific it was more just the general sort of setting setup premise of the book felt very familiar it wasn't just alien either I also wrote pitch black as a which is another sci-fi movie from a little while ago. <laughs> um, just that that premise of explorers or scientists in over their heads and sort of trying struggling to survive is something that I have seen before, but I've never seen it this way. And so it was really fun seeing it in a you know from a new perspective, which, as we said, is yeah. the whole point of the book. Yeah, I agree. There was, there's a lot of interesting new perspectives here. Just for a fan of um, science fiction, this book stands out amongst works of science fiction in that it is so character focused and that it's willing to take a lot of these really common explorations of, of, of themes in science fiction. It's like what happens when you have these scientists out in the field trying to figure something out they don't understand in an emergency situation? Or what happens when you have a, a sci- or an android that's becoming more and more human and then it just defaults back to the character work of Murderbot and explores it all through the voice of Murderbot which is something I don't think we get too much of in a lot of popular science fiction works and I appreciated it for that. It To me it really didn't feel very much like a science fiction novel. Mm. Um, I mean it had science fiction novel aspects but most of the characters were human or approximating human um, in a sense and the villains were human so despite the setting it was all very like human based so yeah, I, have, I really didn't I really didn't feel like it was that science fictiony we have different definitions of science fiction That's possibly okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't try and like invent all kinds of science and try and explain technology there's not like star travel the actual technology that they use is like you know cheap and clunky and broken and and you know shoddy work it's corporate you know corporate I mean, laziness maybe, <laughs> you know maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's because i felt that it was so character based and all of the characters were human right. barring yeah. Murderbot. and that that's a big thing for me too is like i i think i've gravitated more toward fantasy than sci-fi more of this probably bias more than anything that 
like fantasy is more character focused and sci-fi is all about like let's talk about technology and there is hard sci-fi that does that but it's really not like not fair of me <laughs> to <laughs> say that and i i'm reading two sci-fi well, I guess I'm done with one because it was all systems read, but the other one's Skyward and it's kind of cheating because Brandon Sanderson, but uh, like not really known as the sci-fi author as much as a fantasy author. But that being said, like I'm reading two, I think very, or finished with one and reading another very character focused sci-fi novels. And I, I think it's, it's got all the same things I look for in fantasy, like this greater speculative fiction genre that gives you the chance to tell these kind of stories you wouldn't be able to tell otherwise. And as long as it stays like these uh, books are and like stays with characters and grounded in that, yeah, I can love sci-fi. And I, I think I might reach out to you, Lily, for some some of these sci-fi wrecks. Uh, that well, might my to me, science fiction, well, one definition of science fiction has a lot more philosophy. Like we were talking about the exploration of what it means to be human. To me, that is science fiction. Um, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley is often attributed to being the original science fiction novel. And that is just all about like, can you create life this way? Like the creator and the created and mm. is the monster human? At the, like all this stuff that he goes through. And so I think with that lens, this is definitely science fiction. Yeah. That's very true. And I'm the same way. Uh, science fiction, I, I always say, was kind of my first love. I was a big science fiction fan before I was a big fantasy fan. And I think a lot of the, I stumbled on it the same way, was I was way more interested in like the ethical questions mm -hmm. and the exploration of the human condition when pressed with these kind of ethical dilemmas that science fiction's able to present. Uh, than actually being explained some kind of crazy technology, but that's always interesting too. But it's just another vehicle in which to explore great character work. One of the things that I'm curious to hear your guys' feedback on is this is a science fiction book, and but the technology is kind of shoddy. <laughs> like, what did you guys think about the whole idea of the corporation and that they penny pinch and that some technology just half works and the murder bots supposed to be this bodyguard but it's actually super lazy and wants to watch serial television like how does that kind of work itself into the world of science fiction when it seems to be almost anti-science in terms of its technology i loved it <laughs> i thought it was fabulous um because it felt very re like reality based mm -hmm. um uh, who hasn't like heard of a government organization phrase not that the corporation is government necessarily but like you know an organization penny pinching from the chairs to the education modules that the security units get like it just felt very very um based in reality for me <laughs> i i agree completely i think this is a more more realistic future <laughs> i mean <laughs> how many companies skimp on encry encryption yeah. today like mm -hmm. it's, it's a very real thing and yeah. this is just how it would pan out in space <laughs> yeah i'm with you both too i mean i think it's part of what makes Murderbot so relatable is having to deal with all this junky cheap equipment all this kind of stuff and it's what makes it so much more about the character dealing with the world than about the world and the technology and stuff is like no it's like you you know what it's like 
to work for a company that buys crappy equipment, probably, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, I, I definitely know what that's like. And it is really annoying. And it does make you burn out and want to just like say screw it and go watch TV instead. And that's <laughs> what Murderbot's experiencing. <laughs> and I, I love that. It's so good. Yeah, that's well said. It's it's funny in a lot of ways because it comes back to this idea of like you can improve technology, but you can't necessarily improve humanity that much. The people that use the technology, <laughs> you know, where it's like, it's didn't, you get the, didn't you get the dossier I sent you? It's like, oh, yeah, I put that in my external hard drive. I never read it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like yeah. those yeah, kind of things which are so like good. so funny where it's like that is <laughs> so true. I have coworkers like that where it's like, hey, like, why aren't you using the Google Doc? It's like, oh, I don't know how to log in or whatever. It's like, ah, I don't know what to do with you. So in those ways, it comes back to that almost relatable nature of this of this story. It's like, man, this is almost this is almost too true in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, and we shouldn't ignore they got a specific package from the corporation. There were high end packages. Yeah. So there is also that yes. element of pay to play like <laughs> price tag involved. Yeah, they're you like know. they were the non corporate uh she was the director of the non-corporate executive team or whatever. So basically, yeah. like, they weren't profit-driven, so they got the cheap package. Well, it goes to the lowest bidder. Yeah. The... <laughs> right. And so I, I imagine that this story would look very different if it was told, if Murderbot had been with a team that had spared no expense and gotten the best package and all of the lasers and stuff, which I assume would be involved. <laughs> Gotta well, have a good have... laser. They would have had murder bot. They wouldn't have had just a security unit to deal with such a like. Right. Because there were these like actual, we don't see any, I don't think, but there were like actual fighter units that are even more murdery, I guess, than the, yeah. the sec unit. So who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll come out in one of these next novellas or novel that did feel like a setup when Murderbot said, I'm so glad I don't have to face off against one of those. Well, murder bot. I wonder how long that will last. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's well said. Yeah, I would like to see the kind of the capabilities that murder bot has and can do in fighting. It seems to be a pretty terrifying weapon when it's motivated, but the issue is it's almost never motivated. <laughs> I actually think that murder, I mean, I think that murder bot is um, a terrifying weapon compared to like a human, but when you compare it to the other bots, Murderbot doesn't seem that bad. Like it, its its main method of fighting is uh, shoot the other guy as many times as it can before it gets itself shot, <laughs> which is not really that strategic. Right. No. Well, it goes back to the education that Murderbot received was not very strong. So it's it's it definitely plays out when the sec units fight each other that it's like they don't have any of that strategy like you're saying sarah they just throw themselves at each other shooting at each other as much as possible and whoever <laughs> bleeds the most quickest is probably the loser and yeah it's yeah it's inter it's interesting that i guess juxtaposed against such a like character based like a story about a uh, like about a cyborg type murder bot trying to figure out themselves and then there's just these action sequences of them killing tons of stuff so it's part of yeah the book is so unique I, yeah i mean what's I, interesting yeah. though is that murdering is not necessarily something murder bot 
aspires to do. It's just something that it has the capability to do, but it hacked its governor module. It's not necessarily not it's not necessarily motivated to just start murdering people, but it can. And it sometimes ch- chose to and then this case of towards the end here in this rising action where it was trying to protect the team and escape and and make it out of that planet. Uh, but that's what's like so interesting about Murderbot is it's not, you know, it's programmed for murder, but it hacked its programming. So it's just watching television. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Charles. I thought that as kind of like Murderbot was pretty traumatized by the time when they hmm. actually murdered a ton of people. And that's why that's what kicked this whole thing off is that uh, Murderbot malfunctioned, lost control, killed lots of folks, gave itself the name Murderbot. And then uh that's when Murderbot hacked the governor module, actually. To, to make and you could argue that's possible. why yeah. it became part of the cheaper <laughs> package, too. It's like, here's the malfunctioned Murderbot mm. that killed a lot of people. But uh, we're, not just gonna, we're not just going to tear it down. Like, it cost us money. We may as well give it to the people that aren't paying as much. <laughs> I might be splitting hairs, but was it a malfunction? Or was Murderbot given a poorly worded order? Hmm. I th- I thought that's why they hacked the the governor module so that they couldn't be given orders anymore so that they could stop killing people. That was nope. the impression I got anyway. The way I, there's a part where basically Murbot says uh, this is one of the things I highlighted is it, it malfunctioned and I lost control of my systems and I killed mm-hmm. them uh, and then goes on to say I hacked it so it wouldn't happen again and. But then Murderbot does, to to your point, Lily, kind of say, like, that's how I remember it, but it could have not been that way, and it's a very easy narrative to just tell people. So I do think it's up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I guess, yeah, it's up for interpretation. If we take Murderbot at their word that they explicitly said they don't know, um, yeah. then it's a, it was a malfunction. But it easily could have been other things, and who knows, it might be further revealed and in these next books well at the beginning of this book Murderbot is given an order to let the humans die which they choose to ignore mm, that's, um, that's sort of how it starts off right with that whatever I mean, they creature don't, they don't even recognize or realize at the time that they were given an order to let the humans die right because they've already just, yeah. they're already working on saving them and not paying yeah. attention I, I thought that was really really lovely how just right in the first what, chapter of the book the, it's the murder bots agency that has saved all of these people mm. like the thing that nobody wants security units to have and i just that was a very you know, poetic almost scene yeah for sure yeah well uh, sl- slight gear shift of something that i found like kind of interesting as we we're on this topic of murbot protecting the the humans is there's a lot of these i guess it's in the prose where Murderbot is like my humans i'm gonna protect my humans that kind of stuff and that was uh, i thought adorable first of all and second was it was like interesting the way that almost like martha wells was able to make 
commentary about humanity if you read some of these uh, prose count like literally is like the humans did this the humans did that and because murderbot is literally like separate from humans you can kind of read these as like critiques of humanity <laughs> or you could read it more at the like interpersonal level of like this small group of humans did this stuff and there's some some fun quotes that are kind of these like the human like human the humans never think about this kind of stuff and like uh, that's the way my humans were as uh, it's really fun to read Murderbot kind of looking on humanity and judging them. Absolutely. The prose in this does so much in such a short book. And I think that's a perfect example of it. Every phrase, every sentence tells you two or three things beyond just what it's telling you what happens in the book. And it, it's just so, so well put together in that way. Yeah, I love how Murderbot's able to identify what it considers are like these annoying human traits where the humans are like, where Murderbot recognizes that it's been hacked and that it needs to shoot itself or it will kill everybody. And they're like, no, don't. And it's like, we'll save you, Murderbot. And it's like, oh, it's so annoying. And then it's like, what do you think, Murderbot? Like, come have a seat next to us and fly with us in the cockpit, Murderbot. You don't have to go into your cubicle. And the Murderbot's like horrified at the idea of having to sit in the cockpit instead of in its cubicle. It's like, that is kind of an annoying human trait where we're assuming that Murderbot would prefer to be treated more like a human by sitting next to us as we go on the spaceship ride and being part of the conversation and and validating its emotions where Murderbot's like, oh, this is such an annoying human thing that I have to put up with right now. (laughs) It's like, that is an annoying human thing, I guess. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) The idea of validation being annoying and a characteristic of humanity, I, I find to be like hilarious. I feel like the the humans want to include Murderbot to make themselves feel better for not viewing Murderbot mm-hmm. as like a sentient being. Yes, exactly. It's like pandering well almost. Said, yeah. 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 It's like it's about them. It's not really mm-hmm. about Murderbot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like I feel like a good person when I say like Murderbot. <laughs> so come true. Here, come your so feelings. True. It's like yeah. no. Like please just let me watch TV. <laughs> well, and that's why Doctor Mensa tells the humans to leave Murderbot alone, right? Because yeah. Mensa mm-hmm. seems to be the only person who but gets it. But even then, and, at the end, Mensa is well, still like, "Oh, you'd be my guardian," and it's like, "Well, mm-hmm. that's just another yeah, word for yeah. owner." Like Murderbot's mm-hmm. not convinced that even Doctor Mensa has learned that distinction yet, and she's still part of that problem, which True. is yeah. the driving factor for Murderbot to go rogue, I should say. But yeah, that's a really great <laughs> distinction. Yeah. It's so tough because I immediately feel myself wanting to like defend Mensa because Mensa <laughs> is so like two other people. Mensa is like who who could be any to people but nicer, not to murder better, but not to murder. Yeah. <laughs> and at least she's not trying yet. to understand, but she doesn't she's not there fully, which is what makes their relationship so great. And her trying to help is only putting Murderbot in a more awkward position. Like when a family member's trying to help you and it's like, oh, what if I came over and made you soup or something? It's like, oh, no, go stay home. <laughs> like, don't come here. <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of a uh, reality where it's like you have all these good intentions, but it's just making me more like out of place. So brilliant. Well, they do get Murderbot out of a bad spot at the end. The company knows that Murderbot doesn't have a governor unit 
and they don't know what's going to happen to them until does the, does the company actually know though because murderbot's been wiped from the records we don't think that did that actually happen murderbot seems to i mean i i think the narration makes it sound like murderbot knows that they actually have been oh okay maybe i misunderstood that part then or maybe i did <laughs> one of us did <laughs> i i don't remember that distinction but i do just remember that that crew bought murderbot and wiped the record clean and chose to leave murderbot as it wanted to be with the hacked governor module and all of that which was doing murderbot a huge solid so they did do a lot of great work for murderbot and murderbot is incredibly appreciative in a lot of ways and murderbot does have some of that vulnerability that we talked about which was like the fact that it wanted to be vulnerable towards humans was a huge breakthrough. So yeah, I think that was a really important distinctive moment. And there was a lot of good that came from that relationship. There's just this missing piece that I'll always be seen as this thing that the humans want to make more like a human so they can feel better, you know, and this idea of ownership and these mm -hmm. other things that Murderbot just wasn't down for. I wonder if Murderbot was assuming that they would force them to go with them. Mm. Right, Dr. Mensa is saying, here's this option for you. Yeah. And so Murderbot assumes they have to sneak off in the middle of the night. What would have happened if Murderbot had just said, hey, Dr. Mensa, could you just give me a bus ticket instead? And it might have been yeah, fine. That's true. I agree with you, Lily. That's part of my, like, my urgency mental to want like i feel like mental like maybe mental wouldn't get it but mental would understand if that if that distinction makes any sense like mental wouldn't know what it's like to be murderbot going through the things murderbot is going through but mental would be like sure if that's what you want like i go agree for it. i'm not gonna try to but make you do anything i got the impression that uh a unit that wasn't owned by like a, a free agent if you will, mm -hmm. um, had to have a guardian of some sort. Like uh, Dr. Mensa would have been uh, obligated to say, no, I can't let you do that. Yeah. It's maybe. it's not legal. I think that Murderbot was maybe sparing um, Mensa that like decision, like by running away, it's almost like you give Mensa some like plausible deniability in the mm -hmm. situation. So I, I, well, I think I'm on Dylan's side where I think Dr. Mensa would do anything to help Murderbot. Like if Murderbot asked and it was within her power to give, even if she had to go out of her way to do it, I think she would because I think she generally wants to have an honest connection with Murderbot. And then I think Murderbot's the same way. And that's why Murderbot decided to leave in the in the middle of the night because it, it is essentially asking her to break the law i guess or get in trouble or something and it's just easier to give her that plausible deniability being like oh your murder bot went rogue instead of why did you sign off on having your murder bot just walk around and do whatever it wants you know it has guns attached to its arms you know something like that so maybe that distinction uh, it doesn't really get explored too much at the end but i i would like to think that they're helping each other out a little bit in the, in the end Watch Dr. Mensa come back as the big bad of the series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh gosh, then you guys will have to come back and talk Dylan down a little bit for me. <laughs> Don't leave me alone on that one. <laughs> yeah, that could. I think it'd be pretty hard for Martha Wells to lose me with the Murderbot Diaries, but that's one way. To, I mean, to I think it would be it a great plot twist. Like, I think that well. I, I think she, but I think she could do it well. I think she's shown that she has the ability to write. Um, well-rounded characters with depth so that, i think she could i think true. she could make it interesting i think she could too i think there's this this theme of you know maybe you going out of your way to be so considerate is actually causing a problem with Murderbot, and you can mm. use that as a way to make mensa the antagonist it would be an int- it's an interesting thought experiment <laughs> i would read it <laughs> I would read it as well and hopefully <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, well, guys, um, any last words, quotes, comments before we wrap it up on Murderbot? I think we covered all of my thoughts anyway. Yeah, I don't have any more thoughts except that I'm really looking forward to reading the remaining books in the series. I mean, this was fantastic. And it's been a pleasure discussing it with you guys. <laughs> the pleasure is all ours, Lily and Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. This was such a blast. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, y'all. It's, I'm so pumped we got to do this. I'm, this is so awesome. And uh, yeah, what could be better than doing it with uh, Murderbot as the topic? So, Harry Pratchett. That is a, such a pro, Sarah, to throw the tease for an upcoming collab over on Fiction Fans Podcast where we'll do Weird Sisters. Is that Weird, weird Sisters and yeah. um, what is it? The Last Wish? the uh, witcher, the witcher. yeah yes we are which you guys have already read but will be a first for lily and i that's good yeah. you guys have played some of the games though right or at least lily you have right i am slowly making my way through the witcher 3 so hopefully that nice. can be part of the conversation yes nice. interesting yeah no yeah. we we have lots of opinions on witcher so that'll be a lot of fun <laughs> and you're 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 getting like I haven't read Pratchett in, in so so long. So and you neither are... of you neither of you started at a good place. I, stand <laughs> I started by with the first book. Not a good place. <laughs> yeah, but that's not a good place to start. Lots of people think Mort is a good place. I like did my Reese. Charles started at the beginning, and everyone says don't do that with Pratchett. Oh wow, controversial so take. On... Start with the first book. <laughs> well, if you know out in the community, you know there's there's conversation going on, and you two had that conversation as well. I think uh, and it's yeah. like that's not the place to start from right here but a lot of folks say Mort and I started there and I you know I liked it it just did I I want to read more for sure and uh, it sounds like weird sister I, I think Mort is good but it's again it's not where I would start <laughs> yeah well this is that's gonna be awesome super pumped because that's one of the bigger gaps in Charles and I is like fantasy what, what would it be just like what we've read and oh yeah terry pratchett's a big get, gap yeah. for us and our like authors that we've re- like read and talked about so that's going to be a good one and i am thankful that we're doing that over on fiction fans i don't envy the task lily and sarah of you guys trying to get us to talk about both of those books in a timely <laughs> manner because we will talk forever <laughs> about both i'm sure so 
Good Maybe luck. it'll be a two-parter. We'll now have to we're find talking. out. Yeah, awesome. Now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. And, guys, if you like what you heard today, check out Fiction Fans, where you can listen to podcasts, touch them out. And then what is the handle that you guys have on Twitter? Is it at Fiction Fans? Uh, so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at Fiction Fans Pod. Uh, you could also send us an email at fictionfanspod at gmail.com. Nice. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for coming on Talking Murderbot. This has been a blast. We appreciate your time and your thoughts on this wonderful novella, Murderbot, All Systems Red by Martha Wells. And uh, yeah, Dylan, some parting words before we go. Just thank you so much. I'm so happy we got the chance to do this. I'm <laughs> pumped to go on Fiction Fans and talk about some some Pratchett and Sapkowski. Did I say that right, Charles? Sapkowski? Yeah, Andre Sapkowski. Yeah. Um, one more parting words. Yes, more parting words. Follow Fiction Fans on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Sarah's yep. always launching yep. some awesome tweets. So. Yes, come and disagree with us. Too. Yes, come disagree with us. My, my incoherent <laughs> tweets. <laughs> At Fiction Fans. I think they're uh, coherent. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> Maybe the bar is low because I'm <laughs> reflecting against my tweets. So it's like... Uh, you, you probably got that beat, but yeah, no, you guys are at a whole nother level of the Twitter game. I go on and I'm like, I can't keep up with you guys. It's like, it's amazing what you're out there doing. So Dylan. no, I much prefer my job. None of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah, no, Sarah, I always Sarah, you're certainly one of the most fun people to interact with on there. I always have a great time. When, when time That's so. very nice of you to say. It's, it's always a blast uh, chatting with you on Twitter too. <laughs> So. Thank you. And soon we can I wasn't chat. Was fishing for that. Semi in person. Semi in person. Are you teasing something, Lily? Well, I meant a face to face through Zoom. Oh, is what I yes. meant to yes. say. Yes. That's semi in person. That's as close as I get nowadays. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that might as well be in person. For how I think about things. Now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm the same way. No, this was awesome. I'm glad we were able to work it out. Looking forward to coming back in the summer for a Terry Pratchett, mm. Andre Sapkowski match. Pratchett in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Going to check out the. Is it the Weird Sisters? Right. W-Y-R-D. <laughs> yeah, Weird Sisters. Awesome. I'm excited. So thanks and again. And that episode will be released, I believe, the first week of July. That's not when we'll Ooh. be recording, but I think that's when it's coming out. All right. All right. So nice. your, you know, your 4th of July holiday, you've got some options of stuff to listen to in your downtime. <laughs> over at the fiction fans podcast and uh yeah this has been great i think i'm going to play the outro music now unless we just want to keep the outro portion going longer and longer i'm happy to do that <laughs> it'll never end you, you gotta stop us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, charles yeah speaking of things you'll have to save from is charles if uh we don't get that outro music pumping <laughs> just in time for his schedule so <laughs> this is probably time to get that sweet sweet outro music pumping charles i give you permission thank you let's get it going
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Fiction fans here helping us out with this collab on all systems read by Martha Wells. Thank you so much to Lily and Sarah for being on. Definitely check them out. If you like what you heard today, we're on the social media world as well at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end on Twitter and at the FTF Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and uh, Dylan if they wanted to support the show even more and they have to be listening on Apple Podcasts what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcasts that's plural you can <laughs> on over to you know start by heading on over to that fiction fans podcast page on the Apple Podcasts app and scroll down until you start seeing stars once you're seeing stars then the optimal number to click to support their show or our show would be five of them if you have a little bit of extra time then writing a review is a great way to go about helping and supporting but just listen oh yeah and go to friends so i can fancy and rate us but just listening is more than enough thank you so much we really appreciate it Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you to fiction fans for coming on. You're all amazing. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>